show with two retired detectives that were in the thick of New York crime, fast and hectic. They got some stories and some jokes, even an interview with the most powerful folks. Off the cuff, off the cuff, one episode just saying enough. Get a little laughter and an interview too. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories. My name is Bill Cannon. I'm a retired 27-year veteran of the NYPD. And with me tonight is my co-host, straight out of Brooklyn, retired detective Phil Grimaldi. How are you doing tonight, Phil? Pretty good, Billy. How about you? I'm doing great. You know, we, we just, we're going to start the show tonight with a great story. A missing four-year-old girl in Australia by the name of Cleo Smith, they just found her. And it sounds like an unbelievable story because... Someone is under arrest right now, too, for this. Uh, apparently, it, it, it was a, it was an abduction, and we're gonna I wanna, we're gonna go to the tape because it doesn't always happen. I mean, look, we we work we work the cases Summer Wells, we work some of these other cases, and they don't always end in uh, in this way where it's gonna it's a happy ending. Now, chances are, she was kidnapped by this man because someone is in custody, and the police in Australia. A very tight-lipped right now, but I'm so thrilled to be able to start this show tonight because I didn't expect to start the show tonight. But I started reading in the chat. Everyone was saying, oh, this girl, Cleo from Australia, who's been missing. So let's just go to the tape right now. Okay, and we'll play this. One this morning uh, is when it all happened. Police uh, broke into a home in Carnarvon. Uh, they found her in her locked room. An officer picked her up, asked her what her name was. She said, "My name is Cleo," uh, and that that was pretty much it. And, and they've they've got a man in custody at the moment. But incredible police work. A huge amount of effort has gone into this. It's been the first weekend of October that she went missing. It was uh, early hours of that Saturday morning that she was last seen. Uh, her mum, uh, she asked her mum for a drink of water. Uh, by the time her mum woke up at six uh, the next day, uh, yeah, she was missing. So, uh, yeah, uh, incredible police work. They've had 100 officers on this, working on this, 50 up in Carnarvon, 50 down here. They've been working with the AFP. The FBI was even involved. There was secret technology uh, going into all of this. They used satellites. Uh, they used, they, they've used everything that they have on this. They've had a specialist trackers going into this, using telephone uh, telephone towers to track whoever was in the area. They've had over a thousand calls to to Crime Stoppers, which was incredible as well. Uh, and they said just yesterday that her abductor may not have been captured on any uh, security vision, just because of how vast this country is, uh, and and that there was limited security uh, footage and even dash cam footage. So it'd be incredible to see what comes out of this, uh, and incredible to see what police say today. Yeah, it, it certainly will be. Um, and, and given they've got this uh, this guy in custody, uh, interesting to see what, what, what transpires uh, through all that. Our reporter not far away from that police station in Carnarvon too, so we'll be there as soon as we can. But we did just hear from West Australian police. It's worth, it's worth having another look at this. 
It's my privilege to announce that in the early hours of this morning, the Western Australian Police Force rescued Cleo Smith. Cleo is alive and well. A police team broke their way into a locked house in Carnarvon at about 1am. They found little Cleo in one of those rooms. One of the officers picked her up into his arms and asked her, what's your name? She said, my name is Cleo. Cleo was re reunited with her parents a short time later. This is the outcome we all hoped and prayed for. It's the outcome we've achieved because of some incredible police work. And I want to thank Cleo's parents, the Western Australian community, and all of the volunteers. And of course, I want to thank my colleagues in the Western Australian Police Force. I can confirm that we have a man from Carnarvon in custody who is currently being questioned by detectives. We'll have more to say on the rescue of Cleo as the day unfolds. Now, welcome home, Cleo. Such powerful words, that, isn't it? Welcome home, Cleo. Uh, to imagine, you know, her mum, Ellie, getting a little girl back in her arms for the first time since October 16 when she went missing. Um, what was really interesting here, Lucy, is that so she was found in a house in a Carnarvon, in Carnarvon. That's, that's not too far away from where they were camping, about 70 k's away. Not at all. And it's incredible to see, you know, just how police have done this. I mean, they I think they knew that Cleo was still in WA. I mean, as we, as I reported a couple of days ago, they were going through rubbish um, as far south as Geraldton, that's 500 k's, and as far north as uh, Manilia Roadhouse, which is only 100 k's. They didn't say why that they were zoning in on that area, uh, but it, they obviously had some kind of clue or some kind of hint at the fact that this person was close. And to think that this person probably lived very close to the family's home. I mean, they were Carnarvon locals. That's frightening. Little Cleo was probably wondering, I mean, they probably crossed paths at some point. I mean, that's incredible. Uh, so, yeah, in, insane police work here. I mean, they've been doing it every single day. Huge amount of resources going into this. And I've spoken to police uh, on this and, and, and some that aren't on this. And they've said it's incredibly huge hours going into it uh, and huge resources. I mean, it was described as one of the most complex cases in WA police history. Okay was a tough one too wasn't it i mean um especially for her parents doubly tough um with with all the criticisms that were coming also the police investigation meandered at mm. times um, um through to their own house mm. um, we saw evidence being collected um, at, at various points um there were all kinds of um awful accusations uh, online that parents had to deal with um mum and stepdad and you know no one really knew for sure what had gone on especially as it turns out, the parents. Now, for them to, to have her back in their arms in the wee small hours of this morning, um, I, can you imagine? I mean, can you imagine? Imagine the wake-up call. Yeah. You couldn't. No. <laughs> no. Imagine the wake-up call. I mean, you, because you'd be, for days, there'd be the pressure. Like, I mean, you'd get calls from police every single day hoping that that would be the call, that that would be the call. And, and finally, one this morning, around the same time that she, you know, incredibly the same time that she asked her mum for a drink of water, you know, 18, 19 days ago, whatever it was. I mean incredible pressure on the parents. I mean, they've copped it heaps, but also police too. I mean, no doubt over the over the past three weeks, there's been a ton of pressure on them, especially that she they had no idea where she was, who she was with. I mean, this is insane. I mean, this, the story went national, international as yeah. well. I mean, they had international agencies working on this as well. The the FBI, everyone was briefed on it. Uh, so, I mean, I mean, we feared that it'd be another 
another Madeleine McCann, another, you know, William Tyrrell, uh, you know, but this is incredible. I mean, I, I can't believe it myself. You know, what you're saying there is exactly, is exactly right, Lucy. It's like you get a call as a parent mm. at one in the morning. I mean, you're not, you're not thinking it's a good call. And, and for them to have that relief, um, that sheer and utter and complete relief that their baby, their child, is okay and imagine what your first question would be is she okay mm. and for the police to say she is yeah. alive mm. and she is well um obviously there's so much more to come from this but it was interesting that the language sort of changed in the last 24 hours and the police started talking about this being an opportunistic abduction i wonder if it was at that point that they were they were following this lead um and I tell you who can probably give us a bit more of an update on that is Joshua Dorr. He's actually in Carnarvon, a Perth reporter, where, as we were saying this morning, a four-year-old was found at 1am this morning. Josh, can you shed any further light as to what we're hearing this morning? Uh, well, Ali, it's uh, an incredible morning. Uh, we've just been woken up with this news as well. Uh, quite simply remarkable. We're at the police station here. Uh, we've been here, look, for the for the best part of a week and our, our reporters have been here for, for quite some time as well. Police do have uh, a Carnarvon man uh, at the moment that they are questioning about this. Uh, not this stage, though, we've only just arrived. So uh, very early to say uh, who uh, and, and what, but, uh, gee, what a fantastic bit of news. Police here, uh, as Lucy was touching on just before, have been doing such a massive amount of work here. There's 100 people that are on this task force, 50 based here in Carnarvon. A lot of officers have come up from Perth. Uh, another team of 50 are based up in the city, and they've been working nonstop uh, every day, over the weekend, every hour. They've been working longer than us, uh, uh, finishing later than us. So they've been putting every single bit into this. And I guess every day that went past, there was a bit of a sense of feeling here in Carnarvon that um, as sad as it was perhaps that, that hope might have been fading, uh, there was a vigil held just last weekend. And to be honest, there was only about 30 or 40 people here at the vigil compared to one that had hundreds the week before. There was a sense around the town that perhaps the worst might have happened. And, and as the days dragged on, that was the case. So to get this news... Uh, I mean, it, people are still asleep. People will, will be waking up to this here uh, and checking their phones and it'll just be a, 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 an utter sense of relief and a sense of happiness. It's going to be an incredible morning, really. Uh, Josh, I, 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 yeah, take us inside that because, um, as you say, it's early in the morning there, but, but in and around Carnarvon, um, you know, the whole nation has turned their attention um, to this part of WA and it's happening yeah. in their and, backyard. And, right? Carl, this is just one of the lead detectives who was working on this case. Yeah, you can see he's happy. And sorry to cut you off there. Yeah, right. Just uh, just a little smile on the face there, and you can understand You can understand the reason. Sorry, Carl, continue. No, no, they got the job done, didn't they? I mean, you can't argue with it. I mean, they, they have found her, uh, and, mm. and that's just an incredible they ha police operation, right? It is. It's fantastic. And, I mean, the man who was involved in this task force, Rod Wilde, uh, he's been involved in some of the, the biggest cases here in Perth. He helped crack the case of the Claremont serial killer, also helped down uh, take down uh, Nick Martin's killer, and he's got uh, another feather to his cap. But it is uh, far more than just one man. There is such a massive team. Uh, we've had uh, police air wing, drone specialists. Uh, there's been all levels of specialist services and detectives. Uh, I mean, it casts your way back, of course, all to the massive search effort, um, the SES, 
helicopters, locals giving their time and effort. Um, and, you know, the, the, fa- the family had a GoFundMe page that was raising funds for them, but they would have done it without any money. They, they, they have been here, been offering any assistance they can. Um, the, the calls through to Crime Stoppers, the reported sightings, um, the public effort as well has, has been fantastic just to, to rally around these officers, uh, let them do their job. Um, of course, there's been, you know, a lot of pressure on the parents as well obviously a lot of speculation which is almost natural in these cases when someone's child goes missing uh, in a situation like this so much pressure has been on the parents but they've been here countless times at the police station helping out as much as possible uh, for them to not only find their for their daughter but a sheer relief that this weight of pressure is off their back um, it, it just must be amazing for them Phil unbelievable story right i can't even tell you how happy i am to read that to hear that story i mean we hoped and prayed uh on several cases already that they would be found safe and sound and and i just thinking if i was the detective making that call to that family i wouldn't have gave them one half a second of doubt i would have just said she's alive and we got it that would have been the minute they said hello she's alive and we got her and that would have been it so you know not even like a half a second that they'd have to say, oh, my God, is this a bad call, you know? You know, amazing. Like, in these cases, you know, we we, we all worked the, the Summer Wells case, and she's still missing and never been found. And uh, many of us, uh, you know, we, we, we have our thoughts on that case. But I don't want to ruin this case by talking about that right now because this case is fantastic. The police work was astounding. Three weeks she was missing. And they found her, and they got they got a perp under arrest right now, you know. And I don't want to conjecture anything that may have happened to the child, but uh, you know, usually these cases end in, in a murder, you know. And this this little this little four year old Cleo is alive. I mean, the whole country has to be rejoicing now, you know. Just amazing. Absolutely. Absolutely, Billy. And, you know, more times than not, these cases don't turn out well. Uh, this one turned out well. Let's hope that she wasn't injured in any way, shape or form. I'm sure that we're going to be getting further details on uh, what happened while the, the three or four weeks that she was uh, almost uh, yeah, like like three weeks, I'm saying 19 days or something. So it's almost three weeks that she's been missing. I'm sure we'll get further details on that. I'm just hoping and praying that there wasn't anything horrible that happened to her. Thank God she's safe and sound and she could uh, be back in the arms of her parents. That's just such a blessing. And uh, I guess it gives us a renewed hope that maybe in a case like Summer Wells that uh, something similar could happen in that case. I I really hope and pray. You know, you hope, Phil, you hope so. You hope so. You hope that she could still be alive. And, you know, we've conjectured a lot in that case and the fact that uh, you and I, I think, both felt from the beginning that um, Don and Candace were involved. And, uh, I mean, I still feel that way. But could could there be a possibility that Summer Wells was abducted? Absolutely. We didn't think so based on a lot of the evidence presented. But let's talk about the investigation in this case. Without even knowing what they did, we can conjecture, look, they used technology. They used drones. They probably ran, you know, they found out probably who this guy was some way and that maybe he was a pedophile. Maybe he had a a sex offender history. Maybe they ran all of the sex offenders and pedophiles in that community and they came up with him and they did surveillance and, you know, they they came up with something. They did great, great police work. And look, they found her before they found him. So they obviously had his house, and they broke into the house, and voila, there she was. Unbelievable police work. 
Thank God for that, Billy. Again, we can't say it enough times. We don't see too many happy endings in these type of cases, and this is one of them. So, you know, kudos to the to the police department. And uh, it was Australia, correct? Yes, Where, Australia. Yeah. I just, what a beautiful! Uh, did you see the the country? It was so beautiful. Yes, yes. I mean, the uh, with the water uh, rushing up under the rocks and coming through like a spout. That was really uh, some sight. It was beautiful there, and uh, it sounded like from what they were saying that the the uh, the house where she was recovered wasn't far from the family's home sounds like maybe someone who was uh, a predator or was stalking them or something to that effect but i'm sure we'll be getting details on that i looked on my phone as that tape was playing and uh it's 11 o'clock in the morning it's a little after actually uh 11 a.m so this all just broke in the last uh few hours i guess and uh yeah the technology may have come into play with this there could have been a tip maybe someone was acting out of the ordinary while he had this little girl in captivity wasn't showing up for work or something who knows but uh i'm just glad that she's uh, safe and sound and returned to her family you know i have i've worked uh, kidnappings before with uh, the homicide squad and uh luckily all the ones that i worked on uh was solved and one of them i rem- i recall uh, like a four-year-old boy was kidnapped out of a restaurant um, on 170, 170th Street and Broadway. And the thing was, the woman who kidnapped him was like an EDP, an emotionally disturbed person. And she had lost two kids. I don't know if the kids were taken from her. So she took that kid and insisted. I the remember kid, the case, Billy. I remember. Yeah, it insisted the kid was hers. And luckily, she brought the kid home to her parents' house. And the parents were like, where'd you get this kid from? Oh, he's mine. I know he's right. not. And they called the police and we went down and picked the kid up. She got arrested. I think she probably wound up uh, in a mental hospital. Just, But just think of those parents yeah. for the hours that their four-year-old son was missing. Think of these parents that the three weeks that this little girl was missing. Oh my God. You know, and, and she's just such a beautiful little thing. And uh, I can't even imagine three minutes, three minutes. And these parents went for three weeks, but uh, that photo that you showed at the end or that the, the uh, broadcasters, uh, the news station showed, I mean, they look like such a beautiful family. That looked like a picture that they all posed in white. So they look like a real beautiful family and hopefully they can uh, get their lives back on track and, uh, probably hugging the hell out of that kid right now you know kissing you know someone someone in the chat said that um this guy lived seven minutes from the uh cleo's family's home yeah that's a scary uh, so this could be someone that is a uh sexual predator he could be a pedophile uh you know we don't know who he is but thank god that they they found this little girl before you know something horrendously nefarious there she is there's the little girl on the screen I mean, what a what a happy ending to this story. Yeah. As we said in our police careers, we we don't get kind of these kind of happy endings very often, you know. And yeah. you gotta you gotta take it off to the uh, give it well. to the I mean, police. You know? International agencies working on Look this as well. The, the no, God bless her. God bless her. Uh, so, I mean, we fear that it'd be another, another Madeline McCann, another you know William Tyrrell, uh, you know. But this is incredible. Wow, she used an expression I've never heard before, another medal in the can. <laughs> that must be an Australian uh Yeah, I wasn't expression. sure what that was, if she was re- referencing a case. Or, yeah, another medal in the can. Okay, It sounds right. like maybe uh, a reference to maybe military, getting a medal or something. I don't know. That was, uh, yeah, we got to figure that one out, medal. We'll Google it after the show. Jan on the Lamb, thank you so much for the 1399 Super Chat. And she says, so happy 
to have yes. good news for a change. Thanks for covering 100%. Cleo's return. You know, something when I saw this in the chat, I was like, why not start off tonight with a great story rather than, you know, the bad news we frequently bring to this. Right. <laughs> you know, and, you know, we like to bring good news. It's so great to do that, to bring good news. And again, Jen on the lamb, I love your name. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. And again, it makes everyone, you know, as a cop too, as a police officer, as a detective and investigator, when you work a case like this, you get so elated when it ends this way and you can go home and, and sleep and just think of the great work you did. And then, you know, you don't get to enjoy it too long because the next day you come back into work and it's all over all the yes. elation and all yeah. the attaboys, you know, there's an expression on the police department, a hundred attaboys don't equal one ah shit. So yeah. you get those hundred attaboys, put them in your back pocket because you may have an ah shit coming that you may have to trade those hundred attaboys in for, right, Philly? <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, you're right, Bill. When uh, when you're in the line of work that we were in, and day to day things uh, change quickly, and uh, you're working on the one case, and I'm sure they were very elated and happy when this uh, outcome was was attained that she was returned safely. But again, you, tomorrow morning they go into work. It might be they might be standing over a uh, another dead body uh, trying to solve a homicide. So uh, you know what though, Bill? After the last few months, we've been focused on Gabby Petito. We've been focused on Summer Wells. We've been focused on the Murdoch case. Those are all not great uh, stories. They're all actually very sad. And so this one started out pretty bad, but it's ending on a on a better note and a happy note and a safe note so yeah it's good it, it, it's a feel-good story you know yeah so so let's gloat on it for another minute you know okay let's let's enjoy it everyone That's in it. the chat put a put a one in the chat that you've loved this story because it's Give such a one. uh fantastic ending and uh thank you the folks in the chat that brought this to our attention right at the beginning before the beginning of the broadcast because it's it's such an important important story donna lewis thank you uh Jan Bernard, good evening, Bill and Phil from Ontario, Canada. Ontario, I love that, Ontario. So we're gonna we're gonna segue to another story, and this. Uh, Bill, can night, I just say one thing before we segue? You could say whatever Breakdown you want. Down had made a uh, point earlier today to say that there was a, a Phil Grimaldi fan club. I think it was her daughter's uh, drama class. Uh, I see it in the chat now, out in the NorCal. Uh, drama club. She mentioned the teacher earlier today, and I think the daughter's name was Shannon. So shout out to them. Thank you very much for the uh, nice comments and the nice words. Hey, I don't want to hear about Phil Grimaldi fan clubs, all right? I'm just kidding, Phil. Don't take they, were so they were buttering you up on the All right, they were, they were buffering. They were, <laughs> they were dipping them in butter. All right, that's okay. All right, you know, uh, one of the things with the uh, the the whole Gabby Petito case was um, the Northport Police Department uh, was a small police department where Brian Laundrie's family lived, and most of the investigation uh, should have and would have uh, taken place there. But there was some problems. So Ashley Banfield covered that last night on her show and was talking about how um, the Northport Police Department made one of the biggest mistakes on this case. And we're going to just play a little bit of the of the video. And uh, this isn't as happy a case as the case we just covered. But I'm going to, sh I'm going to share the video, and we'll watch this for a bit. Uh, okay. I'm so ambidextrous putting all this on the screen. God here, bless you, know? you, Bill. God bless you. <laughs> this ain't easy. Welcome to Banfield. The chief of the Northport Police Department is 
doubling down tonight. He is meeting his critics head on, answering to complaints that Brian Laundrie managed to sneak out of his parents' house, even with a live police camera trained squarely on the home. It was a colossal mistake that resulted in the death of Brian Laundrie, the only person of interest in the case. It also means that Gabby Petito's family may never have the satisfaction of true justice in her death. So you would think that the chief might offer up some regrets, maybe an apology, perhaps an explanation. Instead, there was this comment from Chief Todd Garrison. People are making judgments on things that were discovered or learned over the last five weeks. We didn't know a lot of this information over the first four days. But the way I see crime and justice and investigation is that the point of the five-week investigation is to figure out that information and perhaps not let the most critical person in the case, Brian Laundrie, slip away. I, and let me rephrase that. Drive away so incredibly easily. The chief's comments came this weekend at a police gathering in Venice, Florida. A panel was assembled to discuss law enforcement in that state. But, you know, as you can imagine, the Brian Laundrie investigation came up, too. I certainly want to drill down on exactly what the chief said. But first, I want to bring in News Nation's Brian Enton. Phil, basically what she was saying is they were almost like taking a victory lap as if they did something that was really, uh, really good. And in reality... The biggest mistake of this whole case was the fact that their surveillance was not very good, that he was able to just walk out of that house and drive away. And that's why I, I so objected to early on in this investigation, them using the term uh, person of interest, because I felt that when he drove back from Moab, from uh, you know Wyoming, that not only was he a person of interest, he was a suspect. And maybe when you use that language, person of interest, people that are doing the police work, take it a little too lightly. No, this guy's suspect numero uno. Thoughts? 100%, Billy. And listen, let's face it. They dropped the ball. There was an our shit here. That was an our shit moment. We all the other boys went out the door. This was an our shit moment. And, um, you know, trying to take a victory lap on it, uh, I think it could have been explained a little bit better. I mean, you know, they, they're a small police department. They probably didn't have a lot of experience in surveillance and stuff like that. And there should have been somebody around the clock on that house keeping an eye on him. And using a camera, I don't think is uh, the right uh, move because somebody, I said it before we went on the air, Billy, somebody throws on a baseball cap and a hoodie and you don't know who it is. It's just a figure in the dark. If it's late at night, it's dark out, you know, moving about. Um, then they said there was some discrepancy about the vehicle returning. It was the, uh, it was the uh, mom and, and they thought it was Brian. So they thought he was still in the house. So listen, there's no good way to explain that off. They, plain English, they screwed up. I, I was going to use the F word, but I'll say they screwed up. <laughs> yeah. And I think that, listen, it was the lack of manpower at the time. Uh, you know, this thing could have been handled a lot better. You know, maybe the FBI's involvement or the state police in Florida, somebody should have been on top of that a little better. I think there was, it sounds like from the beginning with now they're talking about the fact that you know, uh, they had moved out of the location in Florida. They were, you know, rearranging their lives. They had put stuff in storage. They were going on this trip. So there was a little bit of a pissing match who was going to take the report in the beginning. I get all of that. But when it's clear, I mean, September 1st, it was clear that 
He was back in town. He had her van. He went home to his parents. It was clear that there was a need for a, a very deep investigation, a deep dive into, you know, the whereabouts of Gabby Petito. And I think that should have been paramount. It took all the way to the 14th of September before the FBI did the uh, the search warrant on the van. So, I mean, listen, they were they were slow to, uh, you know, to, to get involved and dig into this thing. I really don't think it would have changed the outcome. I believe Gabby was killed on the 27th or the 20th. I think we're both in agreement on that from based on all the information that we know. So what it did much to, uh, you know, to save her life, but it would have uh, maybe, maybe she would have been found quick or something to that effect. And, and again, uh, Brian Laundry, uh, you know, he, uh, something happened to him in that uh, preserve. And uh, had he, had there been a tail on him, he might be alive today. You know, a lot of people even in the chat, uh, people still don't understand what it means when you uh, lawyer up. When someone lawyers up invokes counsel, the police cannot speak to him, them. A warrant, no matter what, what a warrant, an arrest warrant does is, yes, they can now lock you up. They still can't interrogate you uh, once they lock you up. So that 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 invoking counsel is a very powerful thing. And I think that, more than anything hurt the police investigation because the, the, the fact that they couldn't bring him in as a suspect and interview and interrogate him, they couldn't do that because he had counsel. Uh, yeah, exactly. So when you, when I see you guys in the chat saying, oh, they should have grabbed him and brought him in, they can't. And I, I just want to stress that, that you need to understand that when someone invokes counsel, and we all have the right to do that, the police cannot interview and interrogate you. I want to play a little more of this video, we'll put it back up on the screen. And ended up missing and dead. So I'm really struggling with this accommodation of it not being his jurisdiction. Yeah, it's interesting, Ashley. Two things. First of all, the chief uh, is owning up to the mistake to a certain degree. I mean, he did say in those comments that he believes in transparency and that he wanted to come out right away and tell the public, yes, we made a mistake here. They thought it was... Uh, Roberta, but they thought it was Brian, but it was actually Roberta, which, you know, all of our mouths sort of dropped open when we when we heard them first come out and say that. But he says he is trying uh, to own up to it. The other thing is there was some confusion in the beginning, Ashley, about the jurisdiction that was going to be in charge of this missing person's case. Uh, there was an issue because Florida law says that the person has to be a resident of Florida for the case to be established in Florida. And in the beginning, they were trying to establish the case in New York. Uh, so I think that's what the chief chief was referring to in those comments. But it's hard for me to, to come to terms with the fact. You know, Phil, one of the things, and I've seen police departments do this before. If you're, you, the, a missing person report is taken based on the residence of the missing person. All right. So the Northport police Brian and Gabby had lived in the parents' home for at least, from what I hear, two years. Now, because they went home to her home in Long Island for two months, I don't believe that establishes residency for them on Long Island. So they were playing ping pong with who should take this case. Should the Blue Point police in Suffolk County take it? Which really makes no sense because the whole case is in Florida. The investigation belongs in Florida and in Wyoming. Now, for to report it in Suffolk County, based on the fact that she used to live there, to me makes no sense. And you know that you take a missing person report 
and you refer it to another agency where the investigation is taking place. You know, Billy, really quick on that. Um, there's just so many things I want to say about it, but I'll be short. Uh, first off, the car was registered in Florida. The car was returned to Florida by Brian. So obviously, where would you start in that police investigation, Bill? You'd go right to Florida and try and yes. talk to Brian. So again, you made the greatest point. The whole investigation is going to start in Florida. But on another note, when you get these missing person cases, people come in and they'll report, you know, uh, let's say a husband doesn't come home from work and he's out with his girlfriend or something. And the wife will say, oh, my husband's missing. You know, they, they, that's where the detectives come in. You ask questions, you get a little deeper into it. You find out, well, you know, what's your relationship like with your husband? Is there any trouble? Well, yeah, he has been playing around, blah, blah, blah. So again, there might be a little hesitation to make a missing persons report in a case like that. But when you have the facts of this case now, She's last heard from late August. It's September 1st. He's back in Florida. You got to jump on this. There, there's no reason not to have uh, initiated a missing persons case. And I think you're dead on, Billy. Uh, they were in Florida for a long period of time. The car was still registered in Florida. They should have taken the lead on it. And then obviously they're going to need help, state police, FBI, and move from there. And Phil, that's my revulsion to calling him a person of interest. And, you know, let's make it more serious than that. Let's call him a suspect. Let's go back to the tape. When the van and the guy show up in Florida without the owner of the van, you know, who, who, who's missing. So let me take you to that, that sort of series of days because Chief Garrison really did discuss about becoming involved, right? And, and let me read for you what he said. Now, we know that by the time we became the lead agency... Brian had already left the house and presumably had already been deceased out in the Carlton Reserve. I have a lot of questions about that, uh, not the least of which we do not know when Brian died. We, there was five weeks of the potential of, of Brian being dead. Uh, we have no idea that it was, you know, in the first or second day that he, that he went on his walkabout. But I, I'm also curious about this whole notion that he says. You know, great point by her, because... They're, they're also deflecting responsibility. This makes it even more serious that they blew the surveillance. They blew the surveillance. He Between, I think, the dates September 13th and 15th, possibly 13th through the 16th, that's probably when he wound up dead because he went into the Carlton Reserve. They, they, they blew the surveillance, and probably between those dates, and we, I'm not going to say suicide because we don't know he in fact killed himself but you know for the the police department there to you know not take responsibility yeah you blew the surveillance you totally blew the surveillance uh john donahue asks thanks for the 99 super chat uh could they have asked the larger city police department from homicide detectives such as tampa they could have asked for help from the state police they could have asked for help from the fbi they're only a 17 person police department so obviously their experience in a case like this is probably not not too one much. detective too. By the way, Billy, all of all those people, only one detective. Most of the I think it was only thirty percent were patrol force members, and one detective. So obviously they needed uh, they needed help. Let me go back to this. We became the lead agency three and a half days after September eleventh, which would be September fourteenth or fifteenth, Brian, which is the day after he went on the walkabout. And then the day that Roberta came home in the car and it wasn't Brian. So he was the lead agency right at that very time. 
and he was the lead agency when he said, we've got eyes on him. And he was the lead agency on the Friday when it was Brian's now officially missing. So I, I'm struggling with this whole notion that, well, we weren't the lead agency when it mattered. You know, Phil, I think, again, uh, the chief, and his name is um, Todd Garrison, the chief of the Northport Police Department. I think he's trying to toss the responsibility, and the responsibility stops with him. They were the lead agency, but they, he, it seems like he's not accepting the fact that they were the lead agency. So what are you trying to say? That you didn't do what was right? You didn't work hard on the case because you, you didn't know if you were going to be the lead agency? Uh I find that to be a little bit uh, strange. Yeah, you know, um, in the NYPD, as you know, Bill, when uh, when there's a homicide, the uh, investigating team, the investigating uh, uh, agency, not the agency, the, the different areas of the city, wherever the body is found, that's where the uh, uh, homicide would actually uh, be investigated by that area so that precinct would, would cover it. Now, there's been cases where a body was found in one location, but there was enough evidence to prove that the person was killed in another location when they found the crime scene and stuff like that. So it sometimes shifts. But in this case, we didn't know where she was. It needed to start there. They're, they're trying to deflect, like you said. And um, I think that uh, that's a little problematic. Maybe uh, not taking a victory lap would have been a good idea and just trying to say, you know, uh, it was obviously, uh, uh, you know, a manpower shortage that we put the cameras and it got past us and was a mistake. But, uh, you know, we, we uh, will do better next time. Something to that effect, you know. Yeah, I think uh, it's OK. But agency in the beginning, because technically Brian and Gabby left from New York. And at that point, we thought the New York authorities were in charge of things. But you brought it up. Bottom line, lead agency or not, they were doing surveillance on the house. They were setting up cameras. They had an officer out there watching. He has admitted that himself. And he has admitted, bottom line, that the officer uh, thought it was Brian returning home, but it was actually Roberta. Okay, so to that point, um, Brian, I kind of had to pick my jaw up off the floor and put it back uh, on my face when I, I heard this one. And this has to do with that that moment of misidentification, which to me would have maybe evoked the most contrition in this case. Nah, I'm wrong. So here again, these are the words of, of the chief, quote, the surveillance team told me, Chief Brian was seen going inside the house. It was 100% in my belief that what the team told me was accurate. There was nobody more surprised about that than me. As a leader, what do I do? Do I not tell the public what's going on? Do we conceal it, cover it up? No. People want open transparency and honesty from their law enforcement officials. Yes, we made a mistake. It was human error, but I still stand by my team. And to that I say, transparency is divine and thank you for noting transparency but i counted the days between this fiasco boondoggle business and the actual transparency and brian enton it took 40 days four zero 40 days if you're counting in weeks that is five weeks for that transparency to happen, and only after the body was finally found in the reserve. So is 40 days really transparency? And we were... You know, I think that, uh, you know, the fact that they um, 
they screwed up and they admitted to it. That's neither here nor there. Yeah, you screwed up. I would also like to know, were you relying on the cameras as a surveillance tool? Or was someone like monitoring the cameras from another location? That's not surveillance. I mean, you you got to have bodies there. You have to have actual detectives there watching the back and watching the front. And, and, and if he gets in a car and leaves, you follow him. Because it's not a clandestine follow. You, he, it's fine if he knows you're following him because you have no reason to arrest him, but you want to maintain surveillance on him. And this is where, you know, what they did was uh, certainly, you know, an egregious, an egregious thing. I just, uh, I think a real, a real screw up. You know, Billy, you've said before, I've said before, we're human, we make mistakes. Uh, the thing in this case would have probably been better served had they uh, admitted it early on in the first few days after uh, it was obvious that he slipped through the uh, the dragnet that they had or the surveillance cameras, I guess we could say. But And, and she made a great point. It's 40 days. So had they come out in the first few days, this part of the story would have been 30 something days behind them, you know? So I think that that's probably, uh, you know, would have been the better way to go, I guess, in hindsight, 2020 Monday morning quarterback. And that's the way it, it looks. It would have been better, but, uh, you know, these cameras, I don't know if there was even somebody, uh, monitoring them 24 hours a day, Billy, it could just be uh, a motion sensor that it goes on and then it alerts someone and they look at it, or maybe they look at it after who knows, you know, but, uh, listen, the FBI was plugged into this case. Of course they did the search on the 14th. They have plenty of manpower, uh, that, uh, gentleman Donahue that made the nine ninety nine super chat. Thank you for that. By the way, uh, he made a good point. Um, you know, uh, they could have gone to Tampa and said, hey, listen, you know, can you spare us, uh, you know, 10, 15 people on overtime or whatever we want to do around the clock surveillance and uh, or even four or five, whatever it was, you know. So uh, I think that uh, there's more that could have been done. And, and that we just got to learn from this, you know. Let me put this FBI agent. Uh, he was uh, the superior officer in charge. He's retired now, but he's got a great deal of experience on this type of stuff. Let me put him on the screen and see what he has to say. Nothing's playing, Bill. I, I don't know if you... Uh... Because you, you know works. I just watch it as a viewer, uh, but you work in this stuff. And when it comes to this misidentification of Brian's mom as Brian, again, you know, middle-aged woman, wears flouncy blouses, she's kind of short, uh, on the heavier side maybe, and then Brian, who's like a dude with a beard, who's tall and skinny, and 23. Uh, this is the quote that that, that we that I'm going to give to you now uh, from from the police chief as a 30 year law enforcement veteran doing surveillance. This is not uncommon. And if any expert out there says it is, they're lying to you. So, Chris, is it uh, not uncommon to make that kind of a, a, a surveillance blunder? Well, I'll just say this was not their finest hour and it's certainly no time to spike the ball in the end zone that. I don't know how much surveillance they've done within that department. They're a 17-person department, a chief and four sergeants and one lieutenant, so a third of them are officers, and one detective. So I, I doubt they've had much experience with surveillance. So I, I would question their, their, their frame of reference in terms of how to do surveillance and what types of surveillance there are. This should have been a preventative surveillance, the type of surveillance where you don't mind being noticed 
that you're visible and you're aggressive and you're trying to deter certain conduct, that being fleeing the jurisdiction, because they didn't have all the answers at that point. There may have been confusion about you know, who was the lead agency and who wasn't, but the fact remains, as you pointed out, Ashley, uh, Petito's van was right there. He was, it was in his driveway. He had been there for 10 days without reporting her missing. He was there. So all the, all the, all the, the uh, elements of a potential crime were sitting right there in that house in that driveway. So that should have been the focal point. I, I would not uh, concede that, that this is the type of mistake that's made all that, all that often. You know, I think that, uh, you know, this chief was trying to explain away, like they were almost trying to pat themselves on the back of what the, a great job they did. And in fact, they, they didn't do a great job because their biggest job was to maintain the surveillance and not lose Brian Laundrie. And they obviously did lose him. And then we know how it ended, you know. So that was, you know, I, I'd love to know, did they physically have surveillance? Did they have bodies on this 24-7? With a 17-person department, I doubt that they did. Then they should have asked for help. They should have asked for help from the state police. And, you know, we Phil, we know sometimes police departments within this whole defund the police environment we're, we're, uh, we're living in, they may not want to spend the money. You know, they may not want to spend the overtime money on putting someone there for 24-7. Billy, not that they don't want to spend the money. They can't spend the money. They took it away from them. So, yeah, I get that part of it. But uh, that FBI agent made a great point. It should have been a high-profile surveillance, meaning that they should have been out there with a radio car or radio cars in uniform, not trying to hide in the, in the you know, like do, do a real surveillance. That should have been a high-profile, you know, you can follow anybody, anywhere, anytime, especially someone that's a person of interest that we hate that term so much, but he was a suspect. It was obvious. He knew where, uh, where uh, Gabby was and he was the last person to see her. So to, to follow him, I don't think it would have been an issue. They, they, they kind of made a screw up there with that. And, you know, when we talk about these, these high profile uh, surveillances or, or, you know, where you're not really hiding it, Sammy the Bull Gravano was on our show. He talked about how we had the FBI agents that would follow him on a regular basis. He knew them by first name. He actually sent them coffee and stuff when it was <laughs> snowing in the wintertime and stuff. So, I mean, it's like that, that's the kind of surveillance they needed. They needed to have a presence. You know, the presence is there. 24-7, so and it didn't matter that he knew right. you were following him. It didn't matter. <laughs> He wouldn't have left. And if he would have jumped in the car and took off, they'd throw the lights on and they chase after him. He can't go through lights. That'd pull him right over and give him a summons then. So really, they would have stymied him from trying to escape. He would have had to stay in that home or he could have went wherever he wanted to go, but he just would have had a tail on him, you know. 100%. And that's, that's the way I think it should have been handled right from the beginning. And unfortunately, it wasn't. But Robo Kathy, thank you for the $10 super sticker. Very much appreciated. Michael. Uh, Michael uh, from California, thank you for the $5 Super Chat. Just great continued inside baseball on this case. Keep up the great work. You're still making a huge difference within law enforcement. Thank you so much. We really appreciate thank that. You, Michael. So, you know, I mean, we, we don't take any um, enjoyment out of bashing another law enforcement agency. Of but course not. When someone does something wrong, we, we, we'll point it out. You know, we'll definitely point it out. And I'm sure mistakes are made in every investigation, every large investigation. In fact, I would always like to, after an investigation, do a critique on what you did right and what you did wrong, even successful ones. What did we do right in this case and what did we do wrong? Sometimes you do things wrong that maybe 
stopped you from bringing an end to the case sooner. You know, maybe you made mistakes that were so critical that you didn't solve the case. So it's always good to critique your work. And that's probably a good thing to do in any field, not just police work, because then you won't make those same mistakes again. Thoughts, Phil? Yeah. 100%, Billy. You mean uh, the, the old saying, you learn from your mistakes. And if uh, there's things that you do during the course of an investigation, and if you can reflect on it back and you're not going to do it again going forward, obviously you learn from your mistakes. But you know that uh, that uh, chief, I guess he was from the, uh, from the Northport Police, he was saying that these type of things happen in surveillance. There's two things that I can say do happen a lot of times in surveillance. One, you get made, meaning if you're doing a, a real – uh, you know, a tight surveillance where you don't want to be noticed. Sometimes you, you, you know, you follow the guy a little too much and they figure out that you followed him for whatever reason. Those are the types of things that happen a lot. And the other thing that happens a lot is you lose the subject. It's very difficult to do surveillance. Not an easy thing. People think, oh, you know, uh, and when I was in the private investigation business, when I first retired, you know, uh, you try to tell people you need three guys. What do you mean three guys? One guy. No, it doesn't work that way. One guy will get made in a minute. You know, you need at least three, sometimes four people. And then you have uh, all different kinds of surveillance. Sometimes it's on foot. Sometimes it's in a car. And in, in New York City, we would have surveillances started out in a car. And next thing you know, the guy's jumping in the subway or getting on a bus or something like that. So those are the type of things. Those two things do happen a lot of times. You know, Philly, I just want to mention uh, Stephen Revo Gates. I love his comment here because it's it brings me back to homicide. I missed the huddle in the squad for a homicide case. Everyone throwing ideas and theories out there. And you know, we Stephen, say that all the time. I used to call that uh, theorizing, hypothesizing. And then as a boss, I'd say, start typerizing your reports, yeah. you know? So let's do some <laughs> hypothesizing and theorizing. And then let's typerize the reports because you, you have to do that before you leave, right? I, I would refer to it as spitballing the case because there's nothing better than a bunch of detectives that are in the middle of an investigation, putting their heads together, coming out with, you know, uh, you're sort of like shopping things up and you start to go and point, everybody points in one direction and not purposely. It's like, well, we did this, we did that. And everybody goes into agreement. All right, this is the next thing we're going to do. That's a great idea or several things, you know? So yeah, spitballing the case or hypothesizing and theorizing. Yeah, that's, that's how it works. That's the yep. true homicide investigation. Phil, go to this commercial. Start hypothesizing. I'm going to hypothesize on Joe Murray, attorney at law, who happens to be a great defense attorney. Have you found yourself in a jam? Are you in need of legal counsel in the New York area? Do you need a victim's advocate? Well, Joe Murray is your man. He's not only an experienced trial attorney, he's also a retired 15-year member of the NYPD. He knows both sides of the fence. His website is jmurray-law.com. That's jmurray-law.com. His telephone number is 646-838-1702, 646-838-1702. Or you can email Joe at joe at jmurray-law.com. That's joe at jmurray-law.com. And he has a very interesting website. It's worth a look. Guys, this is D, and D is a court stenographer, but she also has a business, and that's it on screen. D's Designs 107. What better way to honor our first responders than a personalized Christmas ornament that will act as a reminder of their hard work and dedication? Each ornament is three by five inches wide and can be customized with a name, a badge number, county, etc. There's also room on the back for an engraved personal message to your favorite first responder. Each ornament has a few different variations depending on your likes. Please contact us and let us help you create a very unique gift for you to give to your first responder. Please leave all details in the customization box for name, etc., on the front of the ornament. And if you like an inscription on the back, 
Leave those details in the customization box as well. You'll receive confirmation before anything is printed. D's-designs-107.myshopify.com. Christmas is coming up. What a perfect time to order some of this stuff. Yeah, and if anybody uh, wants to get me a gift, I wouldn't mind mind one of those. That's no, seriously, that's a beautiful handmade gift. It's made out of quality material, and you'll you'll put it on the tree every year. So definitely, you know, you can hang it on the on the board, like behind me or whatever. You know, it's I think it's a really nice gift, and uh, wouldn't mind one. No, one hundred percent. And it, this is the time of the year. It, you know, I always said once November hits, yes, before you know it, the damn whole year's over. You know. Is and it, uh it's you just, blink your eyes and it's here that's for sure i'm just gonna play a little bit more of this and uh if i can he was there so all the all the all the the uh, elements of a potential crime were sitting right there in that house in that driveway so that should have been the focal point i i would not uh concede that that this is the type of mistake that's made all that all that often I, you know, I've done surveillance, too, and I'm not a police officer. I'm just a reporter. But I also know that if you decide to go to Starbucks, uh, you do at your own peril. If you miss that thing that happens in 30 seconds to a Ouch. Ouch. Yeah. That, you know, she's implying that the cops that were on the surveillance went to Starbucks. Of course, that's a no-no. You'd never, ever, ever leave the post when you're on a surveillance. If you need a coffee, you get someone to get it for you. You never leave that post, you know? Listen, you're going to be taking personals. You have to go to the bathroom. You might need a cup of coffee, but you coordinate, like you said, you coordinate with your uh, with your colleagues and you get that done. And I'm just glad she didn't bring up Dunkin' Donuts because we know where that would go. That's right. A minute, that's on you uh, and your Starbucks. But whatever it was, they missed a, an entire car backing out of a driveway with a bearded kid in it and then somehow didn't get it that it was a mom coming, coming back. Okay, so the next thing I wanted to ask you about, this one really kind of got under my skin. Um, hmm. uh, so this is what the chief said, quote, I can tell you one thing, the amount of work that was done behind the scenes 24 hours a day from our team and the FBI working on the second floor of the police department was phenomenal work. That work led the search teams to locate Gabby Petito, deceased. Mm -mm. Just let that sink in for a second. Let me repeat it. That work led the search teams to locate Gabby Petito, deceased. Nope. I want to remind everyone, our primary focuses the first couple of days was to find Gabby. If Brian did go on the run, he would be found. I was confident of that. So uh, it, I don't even know what to ask, but I'm pretty darn sure that... Uh, Red, white, and Bethune found Gabby and Brian's van, uh, and then were able to help the police find Gabby's remains. But I really am quite certain that it was not the Northport police chief who's now taking credit for that. Yeah, again, they have one detective in that department. Uh, by by the time when Gabby's body was found, that created federal jurisdiction. That, there may, may have been the peripheral involvement of the FBI up until that point. But once that body was found, I think the FBI went into high gear and they have evidence response teams. They have the resources to man the call centers. They have the resources to chase down leads nationwide, put out uh, appeals to the public and follow up on those leads. So, you know, they, they may have been part of a much larger team. And when I say larger, more like a national level team of FBI and, uh, mm -hmm. and uh, other law enforcement agencies. But I think he may be stretching a bit to say that they, uh, they, their actions resulted in the in the location of Gabby's body. Uh, I don't think that's the case at all. 
you're just a very wonderfully well-spoken diplomatic person. Um, I, I am not. And, and I want to bring Brian Enton back into our conversation, Chris, because he just came back from Wyoming, from Utah, retracing those steps. And Brian Enton, to be clear, it was red, white, and Bethune spotting that van. So, so we know the story of how uh, Gabby Petito was found. It, you know, it was from the surveillance cameras, the uh, GoPros that the Bethunes had on the front and the rear of their, uh, their I guess call it a Winnebago, uh, uh, the trailer that they live in and travel around in. And then when they reviewed it, they saw the van there and the rest was investigation. I believe they called the local police as well as the FBI. And then shortly thereafter, I think Gabby's body was recovered. Um, they said a thousand yards now from the van. We had been saying, uh, excuse me, a thousand feet. We had been saying 250 yards. Semantics, but it, it, right very close to where that, that van That's was. a lot closer than uh, 250 yards. So, uh, yeah, that's a big difference. But, uh, you know, the call at some point when Jen and Kyle, the Bethunes, I mean, they were the ones that, found the video of the van on their camera, on their GoPro. Maybe the call was made and they took the call and he's taking credit for it. No, no, no. That's, that's just not the case. But think about this for a second, Billy. Had the Bethunes not been where they were and videotaped that car, we might still be looking for Gabby. And the fact that Brian has now been found deceased, they would that poor family would be, you know, scratching their heads. They'd still be going crazy. I mean, they wouldn't bring their daughter back, but – I mean, they know where she is. They they recovered her remains. They they you know they they did the services. They're grieving, but imagine if Kyle and Jen and I, and I think you had said it in a previous show that it was like divine intervention that they were there, and Amazing. I really believe in that. I really do believe in that. Yep. And uh, God bless those people because uh, absolutely they suffered a horrible loss in their lives, and God put them there to found to find Gabby and bring her home. So one hundred percent. Him taking credit for that is just Yeah, that's ridiculous. Wild. Trish Simon, thank you for the $10 super chat. Thank you for your time and insights. Maui Swift. Maui Swift, yes, we love you. We love you here from Police Off the Cuff family. Absolutely. You're, you, you, come, you come to uh, uh, Coffee with Cannon in the morning. You're always you're all over it. I even see you watching Mark's show, uh, Police Off the Cuff After Hours. Thank you so much for your support. Thank you so much for your $13.99 super chat. And Maui Swift is from Canada, right? She's a, and she's With a runner. A name like that, you think in Hawaii, but Canada, I would think that. And cool. she, she's a runner too. She's a she's a runner. She runs all the time. Speaking I, of running, um, uh, Gisela Carson was on your uh, on your podcast earlier. She was chatting. She told me she was on her bike, riding her bike through the Netherlands when she was uh, when she was on with you earlier today. Billy. She was watching Coffee with Cannon. I was yes, like, "How Coffee the hell are you?" Cannon. That's it. I, I couldn't spit that out. Yes, Schmitty, thank you for the two dollars super chat. And he wants to say dipped in butterfingers. Oh. <laughs> I, <laughs> there's I, plenty I love, of butterfingers around after Halloween with oh, all the trick and treats. You know, we cover such serious, serious matters on the show. And it's so nice. We started the show, of course, with uh, Cleo Smith being found and great. how amazing it is to re report a great story like that. And to, to also, I, we we take no pleasure in beating up another police department, but we will point out when mistakes were made. Look, when I was a cop and Phil was a cop, when we made mistakes, trust me, it was pointed out rather severely. And you didn't make too many mistakes. Because if you did, they did something they called launch you. You would be launched to a to a, an area you did not want to work in anymore. 
like walking a foot post in Staten Island somewhere, right? Yeah. And back uh, to command no meal, Billy. Remember back that? to command no meal. That's right. Yeah. Uh, so that, we didn't Only like any of this. Cops will know what that means, but it yeah. basically means you're on the shit list. So return to command no meal. That's we it. were gonna we we're gonna try to talk uh, just briefly about. Um, I think it was. Uh, wait a minute, I got to pull this up. Don uh, Wells was arrested. I'm gonna pull up a little uh, video on him. And we don't all know who he, we all know who he is. He was he's the father of uh, Summer Wells, and he just got arrested uh, very recently for uh, driving. They say driving under the influence in New York. We call it driving while intoxicated. So I'm going to play a little bit of this. Breaking news at 12:30: the father of a missing five-year-old, Summer Wells, arrested twice in three days. The second time for violating probation. Thanks for joining us. I'm Casey Marler. Don Wells was initially arrested Saturday on several charges, including driving under the influence. While in court for hearing on those charges this morning, Wells was arrested for violation probation. ABC Tri-Cities' Ansley Daniel was in court this morning and explains what happened. Ansley? Casey Donald Wells was immediately booked in and out of the Hawkins County Jail after being arrested during his arraignment this morning following his DUI arrest over the weekend. I'm told that he bonded out on an OR bond, which is also known as being released on his own recognizance. That's where a person is released after promising and writing to appear in court for all upcoming proceedings without posting bail money. Per the judge, we had to submit a request to be in court 48 hours in advance. However, Wells wasn't arrested until late Saturday night, and a quick order had to be signed for me to even go in with just my pen and notepad. Earlier today in court, though, around 9.20 this morning, Sheriff Ronnie Lawson entered the courtroom. That's when another officer placed Wells under arrest for alleged violation of probation. Following his arrest, Wells approached the podium. He told the judge he wasn't sure how he could keep up with the court expenses, along with maintaining child support for his sons. At one point, he said the blood work from Saturday night's arrest would, quote, tell all, and added that he could possibly represent himself, but then he asked for a court-appointed attorney. The judge then asked him when his last day of work was, and he didn't give him a clear answer, but said that he had been working on his house and, quote, things for welfare in order to get the boys back. He also mentioned that he had been doing some, quote, YouTube things to help try and find his daughter. He then told the judge that he was going through a lot of things and a lot of heartache and would, quote, plead mercy from the court. Boyd appointed Wells a public defender and reset this hearing until February 6th at 1 p.m. to await the blood results from his DUI arrest on Saturday. Neither Judge Daniel Boyd nor Sheriff Ronnie Lawson were available to speak about what happened in court this morning or what happened over the weekend. I did see Donald Wells as he was released, and he declined an interview on the paperwork for that violation of probation arrest this morning. As soon as we get that, we'll be sure to update you. Live in Rogersville, Ansley Daniel, News Channel 11. Thank you, Ansley. Don is the father of missing Summer Wells. The five-year-old was reportedly last seen June 15th at her Hawkins County home. No one has been charged in her disappearance at this time. The Tennessee Bureau of Investigation continues to ask for credible tips. So the saga on this case continues. Uh, I, You know, you and I had said... Uh, I always felt that he is uh, a suspect in this case. And, um, you know, it's it's got to be like five months that she's been missing, more than five months. And uh, I always thought he's a perp. He's 100% a perp. He's been arrested numerous times. He's, a, uh, uh, he's an abusive pedophile. 
And, uh, you know, why is anyone um, surprised he, he keeps getting arrested, you know? And then apparently uh, one of the other charges was he doesn't have insurance on his car. Like, oh, wow, how surprising, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think there was also a charge related to a uh, – uh, you know, not paying child support or something. And I, the guy, the guy's a mess. The guy's, the guy's a wreck. And listen, let's face it right from the beginning of this case, Bill, you and I both pointed to the home, the family between Candace and him. Uh, they have some knowledge they're holding back on of what happened to little summer. Uh, the key to the whole case is lies with them, uh, with the family. Uh, that, that's as far as we can go with that. It's, it's, it's really that simple. I'm sure to, Police are still in that direction, and uh, I don't know, uh, you know, where the uh, actual investigation is at this point. Uh, if they're close to making, uh, you know, arrest or grand jury proceeding or whatever, uh, maybe they're just, uh, you know, holding out hope for, uh, you know, I, I don't even want to say that remains to be found or a little summer to be found. So I don't know where they are, but that uh, would be the only uh, thing I can think of why it's taken this long. But uh, that guy's a wreck. He's a mess. Yeah, I you think know, a Phil, a, a case like Cleo Smith gives you hope that maybe Summer Wells could be found alive somewhere. Uh, but in Cleo Smith's case, it was three weeks. In uh, Summer Wells' case, I believe it's going on six months. Uh, yeah, that she's been missing, which doesn't give you a hell of a lot of hope. You know, well, you know, there still is hope. But, uh, you know, it doesn't give you a whole lot of uh, confidence that she's going to be found alive. Yeah, that's it, it's it's a little difficult at this point to imagine that, that she'd be found safe and sound. Uh, and again, when you look at the two different cases, you look at the Welds family, you look at uh, Cleo's family. I don't know a whole lot about the Cleo case, but I think just on the on the you know, on the, their face, uh, they look like a different kind of family. And, uh, we know that there's, uh, the children, the other children in the home of, uh, Summer, Summer, um, Summer Wells' siblings from, uh, Don and Candace's home. The, uh, the other children were removed by child protective services. So there's obviously, uh, uh, a history of, of, uh, abusive things going on in and around, uh, uh, Don's family, uh, he, he had a horrible childhood apparently. And, uh, so yeah, I think, uh, it's gonna, it's gonna, you know, it's gonna revert back to them, somebody in that family and, uh, we'll see where it goes, I guess. Susan Mills tells me that it will be five months, uh, as of November 15th. Yes. So I, 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 I was counting it when you were talking. It's five, yeah, it's about it's, five months. Yeah. yeah that's, that's a long was, time. Uh, it was late June to, to November. You know, Bill, one other point real quick, uh, after he was arrested, uh, the first time, uh, she took to Twitter, Candace took to Twitter and she made some rambling remark, a statement, uh, two or three sentences. And she says, uh, after all, we needed cigarettes. So that was the reason he got in a car drunk and went and drove without insurance and was arrested. They needed cigarettes. I mean, come on, give me a break. Yeah, it's crazy. Someone in the chat, and I don't know if this is true. Lisa Mosley, a neighbor in Australia, saw the guy buying diapers and he usually doesn't. That would be a brilliant tip. And I hope that's true because that neighbor deserves a medal for that it deserves some kind of reward you know we're, we're at like an hour and six minutes i want to end this show the same way we began it and i'm going to before you do i want to make one quick point yeah, uh, i referenced something like that in the beginning i said maybe it was somebody doing something out of the ordinary in the beginning of the show i said that i hope that that's true because that would be a, a, a terrific tip that led to the uh, safe recovery of cleo 
let's play a little of this and gloat on this great case Absolutely. by the Australian home. I mean, they were Carnarvon locals. That's frightening. Little Cleo was probably wondering. I mean, they probably crossed paths at some point. I mean, that's incredible. Uh, so, yeah, in, insane police work here. I mean, they've been doing it every single day. Huge amount of resources going into this. And I've spoken to police uh, on this and, and, and some that aren't on this. And they've said it's incredibly huge hours going into it uh, and huge resources. I mean, it was described as one of the most complex cases in WA police history. Okay, it was a tough one too, wasn't it? I mean, um, especially for her parents, doubly tough um, with, with all the criticisms that were coming. Also, the police investigation meandered at mm. times um, um, through to their own house. Mm. Uh, we saw evidence being collected um, at, at various points. Um, there were all kinds of um, awful accusations uh, online that parents had to deal with, um, mum and stepdad. And, you know, no one really knew for sure what had gone on, especially as it turns out, the parents. Now, for them to to have her back in their arms in the wee small hours of this morning, um, I, can you imagine? I mean, can you imagine? Imagine the wake-up call. Yeah. You couldn't. No. <laughs> no. Imagine the wake-up call. I mean, you, because you'd be, for days, there'd be the pressure. Like, I mean, you'd get calls from police every single day hoping that that would be the call, that that would be the call. And, and finally, one this morning, around the same time that she, you know, incredibly, the same time that she asked her mum for a drink of water, you know, 18, 19 days ago, whatever it was. I mean incredible pressure on the parents i mean they've copped it heaps but also police too i mean no doubt over the over the past three weeks there's been a ton of pressure on them especially that she they had no idea where she was who she was with i mean this is insane i mean this, the story went national international as yeah. well i mean they had international agencies working on this as well the the fbi everyone was briefed on it uh so i mean i mean we feared that it'd be another another Madeleine McCann, another, you know, William Tyrrell, uh, you know, but this is incredible. I mean, I, I can't believe it myself. You know, Phil, I made a mistake. She said Madeline McCann. That's I thought, I thought oh, earlier she said metal in the can. I thought it no, was. It, sound, of, it sounded just like metal in the can, but right. I think it referenced in another case. Yeah. It was, it was Madeline McCann. Yeah. Folks, I just want to say, I, I didn't uh, do this commercial at all today. Please, if you're not subscribed to us, my producer tells us that 44% of the people that watch us aren't subscribed. So please, if you're not subscribed, hit that subscribe button, uh, ring the bell, give us the thumbs up, become part of the Police Off the Cuff family. Well, we're at an hour and nine minutes. I'm going to give you your last words, and then we're going to, you know, as I said, we ended with an uplifting story. We started with it. We ended with it. We usually don't do that. What a great uh, way to do the show. T tonight's a great night. Two thumbs up for the safe return of little Cleo. And again, I'm going to reiterate what Billy just said. If you guys aren't subscribed, please keep subscribing. This is what keeps us going on the air. Uh, Billy, uh, it's just been a pleasure. I know you're working hard at this stuff. And uh, I think uh, you're getting better and better by the day. I love the coffee with Cannon in the morning. I'm getting a little bit jealous. I'm going to do something with uh, uh, Gisela on uh on Thursday, about 2 p.m., we're going to go yeah, on. You're probably, you're probably going to do espresso and Sambuco with Gisela. Oh, you're ruining it for me now, Billy. I was going to do a Manhattan special. That's what I was going to do. I was going to do, like, the afternoon chill with Detective Phil and then a Manhattan special. Oh, that, that would I was going to see what happens. But, yeah, we're going we're gonna to go over, like, the, uh, the Murdoch case a little bit. And uh, it, it just uh, – if you're around and you want to tune in, that should be great. She's also uh, – a parallel show to us. She does a real crime story and we cross pollinate and uh, 
What a way to uh, end the show tonight, Billy. Thumbs up on that case and everybody get up and describe, uh, subscribe. Come on, 40% of you are not subscribed. All it is is hit that little button. That's right. It's free to subscribe and then you're part Absolutely. of the Police Off the Cuff family. So on behalf of Bill Cannon and my co-host, Phil Grimaldi, guys, thank you so much for watching and listening and uh, get, catch me tomorrow morning on Coffee with Cannon. I don't know exactly what time. That's the surprise. I you love be, that. You have to be subscribed, Bing. I come on the air and you you show up from all over the world. So thank you so much, guys, and have a great night. Take care and be safe, everyone. One episode, just ain't enough.